Today's episode of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast is sponsored by Virtucon. Over the last 30 years, Virtucon has grown in leaps and bounds. From volatile chemicals to the communications industry, with cable companies in 38 states, a steel mill in Cleveland, shipping in Texas, oil refineries in Seattle, and a factory in Chicago that makes miniature models of factories. For the legitimate face of an evil empire, Virtucon's services will make you feel like... One million dollars. That's enough of that. Hello, hi-hatters. In case you hadn't realised, today's show has an Italian twist to it. As the film up for consideration for the Hall of Fame is Giuseppe Tornatore's Cinema Paradiso, a warm slice of nostalgia underpinned by Ennio Morricone's classic score. This week, I'm joined by freelance film journalist and editor of the Telstar Film Review, Sophie Watson. As well as submitting the film, we also talk the shocks and surprises of this year's Oscar nominations, as well as the usual fare of the Hi-Hat Film Questionnaire and Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes. It's going to be a show to remember, but before we get to that, here's a distinctly American trailer for Cinema Paradiso. Presenting Cinema Paradiso, the Academy Award winner for Best Foreign Film. Every night, the streets were empty because inside, lovers held hands, children laughed, and the routine of everyday life was forgotten. Because here at the Cinema Paradiso, someone is making their dreams come true. In this little town, the movies are more than just entertainment. They're a way of life. But to this little boy, they are life itself. For the Cinema Paradiso gave this little boy a father, a lover, and a future. Cinema Paradiso, where a young man shared his magic with the town he loved. Cinema Paradiso, the Academy Award-winning picture for Best Foreign Film, capturing the highest box office gross since my life as a dog. The film Siskel and Ebert gave two thumbs up, and Rolling Stone called magic, romantic, and fun. Cinema Paradiso, a celebration of youth, friendship, and the everlasting magic of the movies. So joining me for its submission into the Hall of Fame this week, I'm delighted to welcome to the show the editor-in-chief of Telstar Film Review, uh, Sophie Watson. Welcome to the show, Sophie. Hello. Great to have you on. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, actually. I'm very good. 
Good, good, good. I'm having a bit of a nightmare, uh, as I revealed to you before we started recording, having left my, my very snazzy moleskin notebook <laughs> back in Edinburgh with me, uh, so I've had to resort to the miracle of uh, having pages of my notebook text to me and then filling it in in this rather snazzy so, WH Smith A6 notebook. So did you actually copy down from the picture then? Yeah, pretty much, just kind of wrote it out from there. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, we're, we're improvising as we go <laughs> okay. along, but... Uh, uh, the point is I'm kind of relying on the knowledge and charm of my guests more so than usual oh. uh, for this week. So you've really, it's really all on you this week. <laughs> all right, okay, no pressure then, that's fine. We're going to be getting to your film that you're submitting this week, and I'm excited to talk about that. We are going to be, you're going to have a little go of Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes, which is great. I'm excited. Uh, you're going to be the second person to answer the Hi-Hat Film Questionnaire. But uh, before we get to all of that, I suppose we are recording as we speak. Uh, just hours ago, they announced the, the nominations for mm. the Academy Awards season, which I know the Oscars doesn't matter. You know, us as, uh, you know, cine-literate people will always say that awards seasons yeah, don't matter. Yeah, but you always end up getting sucked in anyway. Yeah, and uh, well, I don't want to go on a rant, but <laughs> if you start me up, I'll probably get going. Uh, was there anything from the nominations that caught your eye? Um, well, I mean, 2014 was a brilliant year for film, and um, I mean, the nominations, like you said, the Oscars, whenever you see the nominations, they always just make you really angry, um, but there are some, there are a few brilliant films in there, I mean, Whiplash is one that I'm really excited about, um, I caught it a couple of months ago, and it's fantastic, I mean, yeah. J.K. Simmons is just brilliant in it, channeling the... Um, Drill Sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. It's just <laughs> yeah. really, really funny, really quite scary as well, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but a, a brilliant film, so I'm really glad that's got some recognition, although it always was going to, to be honest. But Definitely. I, I think that would be the one I'd be most happy to see walk away with the uh, best picture, although I'd be quite chuffed to see Grand Budapest Hotel walk away with yeah, it. Yeah, well. yeah, totally. I enjoyed that too. Um, Boyhood's got a couple of nominations, which makes sense. Can Can you um, explain to me Boyhood? Because I I, th I feel like I I'm, didn't see it. I oh, actually, didn't? I actually right. didn't see it. I'm more just like you know, it's it's unique, so that's fine. Yeah, and you know? I admire the yeah. concept. It was just really. I don't know. I just. I've for, heard it gets a bit tiresome, to be honest. I think so. if you're going to make a three-hour film, you need to have three hours worth of of good stuff and I, I know you know as I say I admire the following him through snippets of his yeah. 12 years of his life or whatever it was but yeah I just and seeing it making all these lists and obviously success in the Golden Globes and I suspect it might walk away with the best film here but uh, yeah, I get maybe it. best director and I think that yeah. might be fair enough because he's tried something a bit different yep. and you know a lot of people liked it so that's fine I'd rather see that than I don't know Clint Eastwood or something walk away for American Sniper which mm. just looks a bit dull and precise and predictable but mm -hmm. um but yeah fair enough um and i'm glad to see marion cotillard got a nod for two days one night as well because that was an excellent film I'm, I'm delighted to see that i mean bafflingly two days one night didn't get a nomination for best foreign language film which yeah which i thought was one of my favorites of last year i think it desert it belongs in the best film category yeah, Overall. I mean, to be honest, it isn't... I mean, I'm not surprised that it isn't there. I'm more just surprised that she's nominated, to be honest. I wasn't expecting yeah. that at all. Just because it's such a small, very very small, very intimate drama, very low budget, I was not expecting it to be anywhere near the Oscars, but I'm glad it's getting some kind of recognition. I suppose we should just be happy with what we've got and not angry about what we don't have. Well, exactly. Yeah. That being said, it's a bloody outreach. No Jake Gyllenhaal for Best Actor. Yeah, I know, I know. That's... That's actually pretty bad. I was, I thought he was a total shoe in, to be honest. But it's just, and we were talking about it before with the 
you know, you've you've got a lot of biopics in there, and you know. Of course, though, you know you've got Imitation Game and. And but all those films, face. those films, it's it's all about the performance, and it gives you that platform to give these kind of heavy, predictable yeah. performances. But Joan Hall was doing something a bit different, and it was just. Ah. Well, that's why I was thinking Mr. Turner, at least that was a biopic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't think it was a great film, but the performance in that is brilliant and it's funny and it's yeah. sad and it's everything. Whereas the performances in those are just a bit in theory of everything. Mm -hmm. I would imagine the Imitation Game were just kind of by the numbers. Yeah. And even even know? someone like Steve Carell in Foxcatcher who got a nomination, I'm, I'm happier to see that because at least it's Carell doing something a bit different as well. You know, yeah. it's a different... And the Oscars love that. They love a comedian going yeah, straight Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. So, yeah, he'll probably win it. I, the other one that kind of stuck out for me there was uh, Robert Duvall getting a nomination for Best Supporting for The Judge. Yeah, which I've, I've not seen it, but I've heard is shocking. I mean, my theory with that is that everyone is so sure that J.K. Simmons is going to take that award for Whiplash that only, like, five people submitted... Um, yeah, they were just like, spot. oh, on you go. Like, yeah, like it's JK's <laughs> You can try, but you're not... we cobble together? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, so yes, uh, Oscar night will be coming up, and uh, we'll probably run a little accumulator prediction on the, yeah, the hi-hat Facebook page. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see how we get going on that. Cool. Brilliant. Okay, well, round one gone. On to the hi-hat film questionnaire. This is... Uh, sure, all right. In replacement to the popular quickfire questions feature that we used to have, this is just slightly slower questions. You can take your time answering them, basically. Oh, good. I was going to say, I've not got um, very definitive answers right. to it. But... Brilliant. Well, uh, it's just, just to kind of gain an idea of uh, your film tastes uh, before you go on to sure, submit in okay. your film. So, uh, first up, what was the first film you remember seeing in the cinema? First film I remember seeing... Although I'm pretty sure it's not the first one I saw at the cinema, but the first one I remember was Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. And that was 1991, so I would have been about... I think it was released a few days before my birthday, so mm -hmm. I would, it, would, it would have been around about for my fourth birthday I would have gone to see that. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense as well. But, yeah. And were you swept up into the Disney world of princesses Oh, yeah. Well, not so much the princesses. I was never a big fan of the princesses. I remember with The Little Mermaid, when that came out, I had an Eric doll... Right. And I couldn't be bothered with my Ariel doll. I was like, oh, she's rubbish. <laughs> like, I was never a big princess fan, but I love Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And I still do. Um, it's really, it's quite dark for a Disney film. It's really mm -hmm. gothic and the animation is beautiful. And um, so, yeah, I'm still a big fan of it. It's one of my favourites. Yeah, well, terrific. I mean, that's a, a good start for your, your, your film yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, top five directors. Oh, right. Well, this is just impossible. Try and keep it to five. <laughs> I'll try. Okay. Um, well, I've always kind of said, well, not always, because that would be weird, but recently <laughs> I've always said the Werner Herzog's probably, like, my favourite, I'd say. I love I love Werner. I love how, I mean, his output in the 70s was just incredible, mm. but then, and since then, I mean, he's gone on to make some, made some fantastic documentaries, and he's just a very unique voice. Mm. Um, so Where do you stand on uh, his Bad Lieutenant? I really? love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Genuinely love it. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I like the uh, Abel Ferrara, Harvey Keitel original as well. I mean, it's a bit too much, though. It's mm. a bit dark, but Bad Lieutenant's just gleefully mental, <laughs> yeah. so I really enjoy it. Definitely. Um... Also in a kind of similar vein, I'm a big David Lynch fan. Yeah. Um, you know, again, very off-kilter, very weird. Um, I've seen most of his movies, but I only recently saw Twin Peaks for the first time, right. which I 
Have you seen Twin Peaks? Or? I haven't. No, I have been enjoying your uh, regular Facebook oh, statuses on it. Amazing. <laughs> but I was never not going to like it. But um, I'd highly recommend you check out. Twin yeah, Peaks. people it's keep really, telling me really, really good. to get on it. Um, so yeah, David Lynch, big fan. And from there, it gets a bit muddy. I mean, you've got someone like Ridley Scott, who he's made two of my favorite films of all time, but then he's not really made anything else good. You're talking, I assume, of Exodus, Gods and Kings and, and Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, of, yeah, exactly. Um, no. <laughs> Blade Runner and Alien. Yes. But oh, Gladiator as well, I really like that. And Thelmy and Louise is pretty good as well. But then it's just everything else in between is just very, very average, so it's kind of difficult. Where do you um, stand on the uh, Prometheus debate? Uh, is there a debate? Well, the what... I can't explain how, how excited I was for that coming yeah. out. I have never been more excited in my life. Like, I was proper nerdy for it. I was, you know, on the internet, on all the forums, <laughs> all of that business. Um, and when I saw it, I think I was a bit blinded by the hype that I came out of it going, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I've kind of, yeah, I've kind of seen the light a bit. I've kind of watched it again and realised, actually, I think I was a bit blinded. Right. But yeah, really Scott, I guess, because because of that but also a bit muddied but big fan of um the coens as well yeah um and for a bit i don't know a bit of world cinema i really enjoy kurosawa kind of japanese directors and ozu but i guess for kind of now at the minute as well for up and coming i really enjoy steve mcqueen yeah terrific um, and kind of really excited to see where his career goes fantastic list good well done. Well done. <laughs> like i said more than five but it's really ah, cool. well moving on from that top five actresses Actresses. Um, again, quite a difficult one to call. I mean, Sigourney Weaver is always just going to be there because she's Sigourney Weaver and she's amazing and she's Ripley and that'll always be the best thing ever. Um, but I don't know, I found this really difficult. Um, I'm a big Kate Blanchett fan as well. I mm-hmm. think Kate Blanchett's done a lot of very different stuff. You know, she's been in indie movies, she's been in Lord of the Rings, she's been, she's got a really varied career, career and she's an Oscar winner as well. Brilliant in Blue Jasmine. I really, really like her. It's like movie stars, though, I think... I mean, I really enjoy Lauren Bacall for, like, you know, like an old-school... Yes. Like, because I'm not really big on actors and actresses, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's, like, anyone who can make me smile. Um sure. But Lauren Bacall's a proper movie star, you know. Judy Dench, big Dench fan. Yeah. She's amazing. Really, really like her. And I don't know, I mean, I was thinking of kind of smaller actresses as well. I mean, I'm a big fan of people like Catherine Keener, you know, women who are a bit yeah. less a bit less glamorous and can always just, like, turn up in a film and just phone it in, you know, but not but not in a, you know, kind of can't be bothered, but just every mm-hmm. film, no matter what the film is, great performance. She's not a starlet by any stretch of the imagination. She just, you know, is a good actress and she's paid for what she's good at. I agree with that completely and I never thought I would, when we're talking about best actresses I'd bring up, something like the 40 year old virgin but she even pitches up in that and she just yeah well she just turns up and stuff and yeah really reliable and you know it's really difficult for actresses i think because they just get really shoehorned into a a type of role you know but she's just quite defiantly the opposite of that and she'll star in what she wants to star in and she's built up her own reputation on her talent and i think as a as an actress that's something that's quite rare and should be quite cherished to be honest yeah absolutely Um, so yeah uh top five actors Right. <laughs> Turn the page. Um, this one's really difficult. I just, again, people who make me smile. I mean, when it comes to talent, I'm really not that bothered. Like, Arnie, I have to say, <laughs> I'm a huge Arnie fan. Like, 
you know, he's clearly not the best actor in the world, but he's one of the best movie stars. I just absolutely love him. Um, Harrison Ford, like, you know, love Harrison Ford. I grew up with him, you know what I mean? Mm. Bill Murray as well, for the same reasons. Love Bill Murray. For a kind of old school, I really like Jimmy Stewart and Humphrey Bogart. You know, just timeless, brilliant it's actors. It's all the boxes for me. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. And as well, just for a bit of right, I mean, I think even someone like, I'm massive Jackie Chan fan. Yeah. Like, when you think, especially to his, like, kind of Hong Kong era, like, he's just unrivaled in his ability. Um, I mean, he's basically, you know, he's like Buster Keaton, but in martial arts, he's just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, big Jackie fan as well. Favourite comedy? Favourite comedy, I had a few different contenders, but I went with Groundhog Day in the end. I, was, I loved it when I was a kid, still love it now. I love, it's really funny, it's Bill Murray's best performance, I think, as well. But it's just, you know, I, I can quote every single line from it, I just know it from, from back to front. And it's got a great premise as well, and it's, you know, it's, it's not too sickly sweet, it's got a nice kind of amount of emotion to it. Yeah, a bit of edge to it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, and makes you think, and just, just a good film doesn't, doesn't yeah. even like have to fall. It makes back you laugh and cry. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Very good show. Favorite sci-fi? Again, this one was quite difficult, but I went with Blade Runner. It was a toss-up between Alien and Blade Runner. Yeah. To be honest, two thousand and one as well, but Blade Runner is one of my favorite films ever. So love Blade Runner. I feel like we're going to get a lot of repeats on this question as I go on. But yeah, I, I know, <laughs> I know. This is the thing with sci-fi. You only, you only have going to get yeah three. But I always consider Aliens more of a horror, to be honest. So, oh, yeah, that's a, that so was was an like, interesting discussion. Blade Runner is just pure sci-fi. You can't put it in anything else. No. Yeah, quite right. Uh, Favourite animated film? Well, Beauty and the Beast was a shout, to be mm-hmm. honest. Really, really enjoy that. But um, I'm a big Miyazaki fan, so I'm going to go for Spirited Away. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really big Spirited Away fan. Favourite score, soundtrack? I went for... I was going to say Blade Runner, but since I'd already had that for the film, I'm not going to do that. So I went for Once Upon a Time in the West. Because it's just amazing. It's just got one of the best soundtracks, and it just it interweaves it with the imagery so well. And it's just such a beautiful score. I mean, for me, when it comes to scores as well, it's like stuff that you can listen to outside of the film. Yep. You know, you can sit in your own house and you can listen to it without the images to accompany it, and it's still bringing the images back to you. So yeah, Once Upon a Time in the West, brilliant score. I'm going to play a bit of it now because I love it. We don't actually have to pause, I can have to pause it. is one film you wish was never made? Right. This one I took the longest thinking about because it's really easy to just say Indiana Jones for the Star Wars prequels, which, you know, fair enough. Um, But thinking about it, even though I didn't didn't like them, but I don't hate them, but I think the Matrix sequels, (laughs) because 
not because they're rubbish, even though they are a bit rubbish, more because they kind of started that whole turning things into a trilogy that never needed to be a trilogy in the first place trend, really. I mean, before that, I mean, you had Back to the Future, which was a trilogy. You had the Indiana Jones trilogy. And then, you know, I mean, it was just, The Matrix was a standalone film. And then it had that thing of filming them both back to back as well in, in really close succession to each other. It really started off that trend that Pirates of the Caribbean and everything else started to book. So I feel like it's kind of the beginning of the end. <laughs> I, I almost feel like those two films kind of have retrospectively diminished what a good film The Matrix was. I don't think people look well, back exactly, and remember that film as exactly. fondly as as they want. You know, The Matrix was the the film when it came out. Everyone loved it and raved about it. And yeah, now yeah. it's not really mentioned in the discussion when you talk about sci-fi, best sci-fis or anything. Well, or, exactly, yeah. And I almost feel it's because they've ex they expanded the mythology, they expanded the universe, and everyone's just like, oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, another another good shout. What was the last one we saw? So? It was The Hobbit 3, Battle of the Five Armies. How was it? Uh, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, but it was just... Uh, none of these Hobbit movies have particularly impressed me. There's always the wee bits in it that I enjoy, and, you yeah. know, like, the action was pretty good, but there's just it's just too much CGI. Like, Lord of the Rings, there was, you know, it was really... There was a tangibleness to it, you know. There was actual people in actual costumes and actual sets and stuff, and this just feels like a computer game, and it was a bit rubbish. But you know, I had to see it, so I did. <laughs> it's weird that like my biggest criticism of those films is it seems that like Peter Jackson just loves them too much. Like, if, yeah, you know, he should have he should have been able to be like, right, I love this, and I want to make I want to spend all my time making these films but you only need two films at the very most yeah well that's what I was thinking you know you could have quite easily shaved off 40 minutes from mm -hmm. each of those films and made you know maybe two quite long films yeah. but two films it didn't need to be three and it still makes me angry because it, it's really temporarily like as well and the kind of the way it's it doesn't really make sense nah. it's all it's really really staggered when I just think of the the two films that Guillermo del Toro could have made when he was originally attached yeah, to it. Yeah, I know. Just like, I, I exactly. just think that could have been great. I mean... It would have brought a little bit of a different flavour to it. I think that's what it needed because it was too much of yeah. the same but just not as good. I just imagine what his sequence with the giant spiders would have been like. Yeah, um, you know, That totally. was the sequence I was looking forward to the most and it was just kind of... just left me a bit cold. Just when CGI it came. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I think he would have done something really interesting with it. But anyway, no point in... Yeah, over what could have been. it's finished now anyway. Hopefully, there'll be no more. Yeah, I might try <laughs> and catch it while it's in the cinema, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. A very, very impressive uh, questionnaire answer list there, Sophie. Good, Good I'm glad. Job. I think it took there, me a long time. There can be no doubt that you are, are qualified to submit a film for the for the Hall of Fame, but just for shits and giggles, let's uh, let's have a wee round of Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, Tomales. okay, cool. It's a high or low game based on a category of films from and how they've scored on the popular website Rotten Tomatoes. So you have three categories that you can choose from: ten films, potential ten out of ten score. Yeah, yeah. great. Um, so the categories that you can have, to, you have to choose from, are films in which Brendan Gleeson dies or is killed, 
right. you, you can have non-Harry Potter films starring cast members of Harry Potter, so that's pretty much any film with a British actor in it. Right. Or you can have films with names in the title, so like the title of the film is somebody's name. Oof. Um, I'll go for that actually, I'll go for yeah. that last category. Nice one. Alright, cool. Alright, so you get a starting point, and your starting point is the the British crime drama in which Michael Michael Caine goes a little bit Clint Eastwood. It is uh, Harry Brown. Right, okay, yeah. And the starting score for that is 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. Alright, okay. Uh, your second film, which I didn't see, but I can only assume is the... Uh, where, just based on the name, Tom Hanks turns into a vigilante as well. It is Larry Crown. Larry Crown! Oh my god, I totally forgot that existed. Yeah, um, he goes back to school and lower, goes Julian lower. Roberts. Surely that's lower. With uh, 35%, yes, Larry right, okay. Crown scored lower than Harry Brown. Okay, so <laughs> next up is the George Clooney political thriller. It doesn't really narrow it down, I suppose. Michael Clayton. <laughs> 35% well, I'm, I'm not, actually Matt Payton, but that's definitely higher. Yeah, yeah. 90% of that Aye. one, so yeah, cool. one a lot higher. Next one up is one of the first films I ever wanted to walk out of, and it was only because nobody else in my group wanted to leave that I stayed. It was Aaron Brockovich. Oh, how come? I, I mean, I was 12, and I... Alright, oh, okay, bored, I was like... No, I've, I've since gone really? back and enjoy it a bit more, but I, I remember distinctly actually standing up and, be, and assuming everyone else would follow me, and then no one did, so and I, then, just, I kind of meekly oh, sat back down again. And, uh, what's this stupid continued, about? continued to not enjoy the film. <laughs> so, Fair enough. So, uh, um, 90% is your score to be. Oh, that's actually quite difficult, so I was like, uh, lower, but, hmm, Aaron Brockovich. Oof. Oh. I'm going to say higher. I'm going to take a risk. It is a risk. It's a risk that hasn't paid off. 84% oh, for Aaron Brockovich, I'm afraid to say. You're not going to be our first 10 out of 10, but you could still tie the high score. Uh, the highest score is 9 out of 10. Right. Next up, it's a film that hasn't come out in the UK yet. It came out at the end of last year in the US. It's the Keanu Reeves revenge uh, film, John Wick. Oh, I'm dying to see that. It's actually. a lot of fun, actually. I really. Oh, it. you've seen it. That's yeah, not fair. It's pretty good. Um, and eighty-four percent is your score to be. Oh, you know what? Somebody told me what the rating of this was on Rotten Tomatoes. I think, yeah, they, they told me what this was two days ago, and they were like, <laughs> "It's got this rating. It must be good." But I'm not. It was around about eighty-four percent, so it's really not helping. I'm gonna say higher. Eighty-five percent. Yes, it did come in. I'm so sure that would trip you up. Well, you can buy whoever that was a pint next time. <laughs> Alright, we're going changing gears a little. Well, not changing gears too much, you know, from John Wick, is a tale of one lone vigilante. We're going back to the John Wayne sequel to the original True Grit. It is Rooster Cogburn. Oh, right. Oof, uh, 85% okay. is the score to be. It's the sequel to a popular Western classic, yeah. I guess. Yeah, Lower. Yeah, 50%. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, if it's a sequel to True Grit, it can't be amazing. I didn't actually realise that was a sequel to True Grit. I've heard of it, but didn't realise. He looks proper old in that one, it has to be said. Alright, next up, gangster thriller with Johnny Depp playing a real person for once, and Al Pacino is Donnie Brasco. Oh, Donnie Brasco's great. Is that 50% the last one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 87% cool. for Donnie Brasco. So, so far, so good. You know, on, score, on course for the, uh, the high score. Next up, uh, Liam Neeson plays the 
third man to walk on the moon, Michael Collins. Oof, what was the last score again? 87%. Oh, no. Lower. Yeah, 77% right. for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, next up, it is Tom Hanks popping back up on the list. Right. This time for his much acclaimed performance as war hero, ping pong champion, long distance oh, runner, I really hope you going to say that, because, oh man. And 77% is the score to be. because oh, that's where I it must be higher, it has to be, but I don't necessarily agree with that. With 71%, it comes oh, in lower, I'm no. afraid to say. Oh, just because everyone loved it at the time. Yeah. There was always, there was a few people that were like, no, it's it's actually pretty rubbish. Yeah. But I didn't think those people would outnumber them, but clearly, damn it. Alright, you got two left. Next up, um, you have Johnny Depp back on the list again. This right. time, it, shockingly, in a film by Tim Burton, it is Edward. <laughs> Oh, Edward's amazing. Higher. Yeah, 92%. Cool. And we're going to round it off with my favourite Woody Allen film. It is Annie Hall. Ooh. 92% is 92% is really high, but everybody likes Annie Hall. Yeah. But a lot, actually, that's not true because a lot of people hate Woody Allen. I'm going to say lower. Is it higher? 98%. Oh, Annie Hall. Really? Not oh, everybody God. loves Annie Hall, but. 98 out of 100 yeah, people seem to that like is the Annie one Hall. that everyone likes even to hate Woody Allen to be fair I think it's pretty Damn much it, my totally favourite totally capitulated there man yeah oh, you were going so well so I well know. I mean you, you end up with a very respectable 7 out of 10 wow. uh, so congratulations on that well well hopefully you can get over that disappointment uh, as we I'll try we move on to your submission to the Hi-Hat Film Podcast it is the 1988 Giuseppe Torantori film Cinema Paradiso Very excited to talk about this. Uh, was very delighted to sit back down and uh, revisit it after yeah. what's been a couple of years. So, why don't you start for the benefit of people who haven't seen it, spoiling the film completely by uh, <laughs> telling us the plot? Sure. Okay. Basically, uh, Cinema Paradiso starts off. It's about well, it starts off with older Toto, and Toto is um, at this point he's a film director, and he's living kind of very rich high life in Rome when he gets a call from home telling him that um, somebody from his past has died and the whole film kind of starts from there it's him reminiscing about his childhood uh, as a child he lived in a little Sicilian village called Giancaldo he's about six or seven years old but he's obsessed with the cinema and he's constantly at the cinema and he kind of strikes up a friendship with the projectionist called Alfredo and um, it kind of follows them around for a wee while, but then, um, as well, I didn't even mention this is set in the 1940s, which is quite important. So yeah, set in the 1940s, a wee boy, and he's um, struck a friendship with Alfredo, and uh, there's an accident at the cinema. Alfredo gets blinded, and basically, it kind of, from there, he becomes the projectionist, the young kid becomes the projectionist, and then kind of follows him through his teenage years and he falls in love with a girl and then it comes back to present day when he's back in Giancaldo for Alfredo's funeral. 
because uh, it's Alfredo who's died because I didn't mention that either. I'm terrible at this. But yeah, it's basically a, a, coming, a coming of age story about a young Italian boy who loves the cinema. And it kind of follows him from being a very small child to growing up and becoming an adult. And it's all about the past and nostalgia, but also kind of not being able to get rid of your past and that kind of thing. And in the spirit of reminiscing, do you remember the first time you saw this film? I do, yeah, I do. I, I, this is the point where I start to sound like a big pretentious asshole, but <laughs> I first saw it when I was about six. Ah, all right. Um, so, so you went straight. Yeah. You came straight at the screening of Beauty of the Beast and walked right <laughs> and, into. And I walked right into a screening of Cinema Paradiso. Yeah. No, oh, my dad showed it to me when I was very little because the mother's side of my family's Italian. So my dad, even though my dad's not Italian, he was quite keen for me to kind of, I don't know, maybe get in touch with my Italian roots or whatever, because my nan is Italian. And so I watched a bunch of Italian films when I was a kid. And I had Bambi in Italian and stuff oh. on, on video. So I remember watching it when I was about six or seven and really liking it, which is quite strange. Yeah. Because you'd think as a seven-year-old I'd be really bored, but mm-hmm. I've, I've watched it like hundreds of times. I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid, so it was my favourite. Do you remember what <laughs> what grabbed the attention of a, a six year old Sophie? I think it must have been I think it must have been Toto as a young boy mm-hmm. to start off with because he's a really likable young kid. He's kind of cheeky. Um, I mean, I loved films when I was a kid as well, so maybe there was a kind of an affinity there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I guess I was always kind of fascinated with it with Italy with my nana being Italian, but not really knowing much about it. I was always quite fascinated by it. So I don't know. It must have just grabbed me as a youngster and assuming you've seen it since you were a six-year-old and you're not just mm. reciting this from memory uh, yeah. how how has your uh, opinion of the film changed with multiple viewings and you've grown up with it i think it's it's actually quite an interesting film to have from that kind of perspective because there is so much going on in it and when you get older i mean i mean you've seen sarah paradise so i'm sure you know like i mean everyone cries mm-hmm. at it like it's just really bittersweet and it's not like sad I mean it is sad but it's just one of those films that just makes you cry right and obviously I never used to cry at it when I was a kid because I must have had a heart stone or something (laughs) but as an adult it's really quite moving because it's all about especially it's all about kind of revisiting your past and that kind of thing and um, it's I guess since I used to watch it when I was a kid watching it as an adult it's like this weird kind of mirroring of him going back to his past and Mm. kind of you know so it's yeah it's a film that as an adult has a completely different resonance to when you're when you're younger it's all terribly meta it's a film about nostalgia and reliving the past and and that is literally what i'm doing when i'm watching it so it's kind of a double whammy but yeah Um, it's described as a a film lover's film, really, which yeah, uh, I think you know absolutely. is kind of you know you can use the term a love letter to cinema if you you want to go down that that route. And you yeah. know, I think you've you've touched on uh, reasons why you have affections for it. But what, what why do you love this film? I think as well. I mean, apart from anything else, I mean, it's just it's a really quite a simple story, but it's really beautifully told. I mean, and the performances in it are brilliant. Um, Young Toto is just fantastic, and. Um, it's just a really moving. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's, who doesn't like it. Mm. Um, do you like it? I oh I well, I mean, my my feelings aside, I, I I do really like it. It's it's funny you, you should say you've not met anyone 
didn't like it because I remember it was it was screened to me uh, when I was at, right. at uni, uh -huh. and it was quite a divisive divisive film in the class. Oh, really? I think a lot of people kind of found it overly melodramatic and found it quite sugary and yeah, the, I and can even, see that. Yeah, and 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 even the score and I, I, you could argue is that even though it's done by Ennio Morricone, who is obviously but a, he's, a, yeah, a yeah. legend, but, yeah. um, and I and I can kind of take the point and. If if it doesn't touch you, then I I, I think those points are valid. But I I, I think it's... I can understand. I mean, it is quite sickly sweet. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe not sickly sweet, but it's very, you know, it's all about nostalgia, and it's mm -hmm. very much like yeah, the music's very kind of over the top and everything. But the I just think it's beautiful, to be honest. Yeah. But um, it's quite rewatching it because I rewatched it obviously before we recorded mm -hmm. this. Um, it is quite maybe overly simplistic in its relationships which I can understand why someone might find it. It's not very complex in that yeah. kind of sense. So maybe it is quite deceivingly complex, but it is very, um, yeah. I mean, I I mean, I mean, have reservations. I find kind of the segment where Toto is a teenager, I found all that a little bit, and his relationship with Elena, I found that a little bit. Yeah. Have you seen the director's um, cut, actually? Um, I'm not entirely sure if I have. Because I saw it just the other day, because no. that was... I've been putting off watching it yeah. forever. I've never seen it just because I feel the way that it is is pretty much perfect. Yeah. Um, and with the ending and everything, um, in the director's cut you have because in the film when Toto goes back as an adult, um, for Alfredo's funeral lasts about fifteen minutes. Mm -hmm. In the director's cut, that lasts about an hour. Right. And no, I have. In that case, I have not seen. The he goes cut. back to find the Elena, the girl. Yep. He yep. goes back to find her. And um, they end up having an affair. Oh, wow. And turns out that Toto betrayed him. Um, not Toto, Alfredo betrayed him and all this stuff. Oh, wow. It's very dark and oh. uh, weird. I don't, think, I don't think I like that. No, it's yeah. it's bizarre. Um, so maybe the people who think it's too sickly sweet would enjoy the director's cut. I mean, there's, essentially, I mean, look, I, mean, I, I, I can poke holes at it if I want, but essentially I feel like the people who it doesn't reach on an emotional level are, are dead on the inside. Because, <laughs> you know, it invokes, it's a very strong, you know, evokes all these feelings of nostalgia and I think it can yeah. reach you on pretty much any level you like. I mean, it, you know, it can have you nostalgic for the films that are being on display, it can make you miss your childhood, you know, it can make you reminisce about your first love, you know, your family, yeah, you've fallen exactly. out of touch with this community. I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things for me is when he goes back for the funeral and this beautiful square that was just alive and buzzing with characters and it's now it's just really got all these, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that for me is almost the most heartbreaking I think at our age it. especially, but you know, it's all about kind of going back home and everything's changed. Mm -hmm. But everything's kind of the same at the same time. It's yeah. like everyone's still there, so it's yeah. what, it's, nothing's changed. But everything's kind of changed while you've gone, and yeah, I can totally relate to that. Um, so it's interesting from that point of view as well. And uh, looking at the the Nuevo Cinema Paradiso itself, in the film, it's a place where seemingly the whole town yeah. congregate and it, it seems like all of life's events are going on there people go there to smoke to sleep to socialize to fall in love to spit on the poor to fornicate to, <laughs> yeah, to, literally, yeah. to drink there's even you know people go there to die and you know often the films kind of mimic that but yeah. what what it shows is kind of this almost fanatical passion for cinema yeah do you think that ever existed? Do you think that this is an embellishment from the film? Or? I was actually, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think, to be honest, I mean, 
what's really important about this film as well is that it's I mean it's timeless but it's also about a time and a place it's about post-war Italy mm -hmm. and it's very specific about that as well and um, I mean when Toto was talking about his dad and his dad's been missing um, for a long time and it turns out he died during the war but they've just never found his body and then when they finally do find out that he's died everyone's always said oh your dad looked like Clark Gable and then he looks and he sees a poster of Gone with the Wind and the films kind of contextualise the time and the place. So the time and the place is really important. And post-war Italy was, like, so poor. Like, it was bare-bones poor, mm -hmm. you know, proper peasants and all the rest of it. So I genuinely think that when it comes to pastimes at that time and period, I think the cinema was a very integral part of people's lives because, you know, you're poor, you've got nothing. What do you do for entertainment? You go to the cinema. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Italy's had a really rich history of cinema as well and a real understanding of the form um which leads me to believe that a lot of italians grew up in this like grew up with cinema as well and you know much the same way that a lot of countries did but with it with italian cinema there's a real nostalgia for the cinema as well i think mm. um, i mean you, you look at things like the dolce vita and eight and a half and stuff and that's got a very there's very this nostalgia, but there's also a kind of a real, like I said, a real understanding of the form as well. So I think it is, it was a huge part of. I mean, you know, whether people were shagging and stuff is <laughs> maybe another, yeah. maybe another thing entirely. But um, mm -hmm. I think it does also capture the place and the time. But you know, it romanticizes it obviously. But um, I'm not sh not quite sure how exaggerated it is. Yeah. I'm not a historian. No, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I mean, one of the. It vaguely reminded me of a time when I was traveling. I went to Brazil and I went to the cinema and I watched a, a dubbed version of uh, Return of the King. All right. And cool. it was great. It was like it was almost like being at a football match. Like they were like <laughs> cheering and they were really getting into it. And the one yeah. bit that really like stands out was the bit where um, the big spider is creeping up on Frodo uh -huh. and like the the whole cinema at this point is just sort of like oh every time they see it and it's like oh. Oh, and it builds up, and then you just get that bit where he jumps out, and like the whole, the whole. I was about to say ground, but it wasn't. Like, <laughs> the whole cinema just erupts, like yeah. Even though it's the main character getting uh, sounds kind of cool, poisoned. but it also kind of sounds like my worst nightmare. Like, well, shut up, stop talking. Yeah, I mean, I suppose <laughs> you know, being British, you know, we have we have people whispering and uh, being on their phones. Um, I guess if it's full on, that's fine. It's yeah. when it's kind of this intermediate period that you don't know what to do with. Yeah, yeah, that's those are the ones that really bother me. One of my favourite sequences, and it's the kind of the famous one, is uh, the courtyard scene where they kind of spill out onto the street and they're at, show another film, Alfredo. Oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. And um, uh, projects it up onto the wall of one of the... Someone's house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I, I mean, it's a real standout to me because I, I don't remember many other scenes in cinema where it goes from something so joyous and beautiful to something so, so, so tragic. horrible. Yeah. I know, it's so horrible. I mean, I, when I was watching it the other day, even then, I would have like a proper, you know, lump in my throat watching that when I was trying to drag him down the stairs. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a great scene as well. I mean, they've just got such a touching relationship, Alfredo and Toto, and it's kind of. Because at first he's really annoyed by this kid who's just like coming in to steal all his, you know, mm -hmm. his frames and his just his film bits of film that are lying around and stuff. But then he slowly gains a real fondness for him, and it's a real, and that's the kind of the the scene that really shows that before mm -hmm. obviously he gets blinded. 
by the fire. It's one of those films that I've, I mean, it's like, I, I know it back to front, I've seen it so many times. I could literally talk about it for hours. But yeah, like I said, I mean, I think it's really important to, you know, to remember the time and the place. I mean, I think the facts. I don't really think I don't think I've seen any other film. It's unique in the sense that it does use other films to contextualize history. So it is. It's like, oh, this is when this film came out, and this is what was happening at this time. And it's almost like I mean, it's quite difficult because I mean, I'm not massively versed in you know 1940s film or whatever, mm -hmm. but. It is almost like a game of spot the film when they're at the cinema because there's a different film playing every time and it must have, there must have been so much kind of research mm. and kind of stuff gone into that and it was... It's great and it's such a, a diverse stuff they drop in, you know, you've got yeah. the golden age of Hollywood, you have French realism, they have post-war cinema of Italy which as you mentioned is so important. And I, I just really enjoy how they say Hollywood names as well, like Clark Gabler <laughs> and uh, James Stewart and stuff like that, it's great. Mm. <laughs> Just to, to make sure we've, we've, we've hit on a, a lot of points on the film, why, why then does it deserve to go into the Hall of Fame? And you've talked, you've answered a lot of this already, but this is where you can really sell it to me, and this is kind of talking about the, the effect it's maybe had on the world out with the, the film itself, so what kind of cultural impact it's had or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this actually, and it's quite difficult to think about the cultural impact of this film, because I think more than anything it celebrates the cultural impact of film from everything that went before it. Mm -hmm. So it, in itself, it's more just like a celebration of film. I mean, that's basically what it is. And it's kind of, I mean, it's also about the director as well. And because clearly the director of the film, it's almost kind of semi or biographical mm -hmm. or whatever. Basically, it's a film, it, it, it's, it's difficult to talk about the cultural impact because like I said, I mean, it's a film that celebrates cinema. So it's celebrating everything that went before it rather than, you know, it's kind of like, it's the accumulation of that. It's not so much, I don't, I don't think it's really, I can't really think of an, an impact it's had since mm. in that kind of way, because it's more about celebrating everything that came up to that point. I mean, for me, I mean, I, it's just a film that, if you're a film lover, it's just, it's about film lovers, you know? So, I mean, I think it's, it's a film, like I said, that's very much about a time and place, but it also feels really personal. It feels very personal to me because I grew up with it. And it's a film where I think it's really important when, if you're watching a film and every time you watch it, you get something new from it. And I feel like every time I watch it, I mean, I must have seen it about a hundred times, but every time I watch it, I feel like I get something new from it. And I think that's a sign of a good film, to be honest. But more than anything as well, I mean, in terms of why it should be submitted, have you got any foreign films in there yet for a start? <laughs> we have um, Princess Mononoke. All right, okay, okay. And I also, uh, a couple of weeks ago, put another one of my own own picks in the, the raid when somebody put Dread. I said no to Dread and put the raid in because it's a better <laughs> Because it's better, yeah. Fair enough. It would be the first non-English language European film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I was quite quite torn because, I mean, when it comes to kind of foreign languages, I mean, I mean when you first asked me that, that was the first thing I went to because I thought, you know, Jaws has been done, mm -hmm. you know, the weird formless documentary <laughs> genre has been covered you know and I was kind of my immediate thoughts went to this but then I was also thinking of 
um, Aguirre Wrath of God, which we've tied in with Red oh, as well. Yeah. Um, which you got to come back on and do that one, please. I, I would quite Great. happily, quite Very happily. Um, and I was also thinking of did you ever see Spirit of the Beehive? No. Which is uh, fantastic. It's quite similar actually to Cinema Paradiso because it's about a young girl um, growing up in during the Spanish Civil War, and she watches Frankenstein at the cinema, huh. and she becomes obsessed with it. And it's um, it's much darker than Cinema Paradiso, but it's quite a similar kind of film. But Cinema Paradiso for me is much more personal. And like I said, it's timeless, but also about a very specific place in time, and the music, the imagery, everything about it. I mean, rewatching it, I don't think it's a perfect film, but I think it's a film that really stays with people. You know, people remember it, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with you when you say it's not a perfect film. Playing devil's advocate, as as it's sometimes my job to do on this show, I mean, I love this film. Yeah. I, I really do. But I agree, it's not perfect, and I think there are there are sort of uh, issues with it. But I think a, a lot of it is about the emotions that, that come with it and the connection that it has with the audience, with its audience and the way it's talked about. And the only thing that I can really compare it to in terms of I feel like it kind of provokes the same kind of thing, even though it's a completely mm. different film. To uh, it's a wonderful life. I feel like people. Yeah, kind of, it's got a very similar vibe to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like it makes that kind of connection. And I think because of that, you're kind of like to hell with everything else. You know, to hell with the, this part of it, which is perhaps doesn't need to be here or or, or whatever. So yeah, I, yeah. I I feel like it builds up that kind of goodwill. And uh, you know, when you when it comes down to it, you know, and it does rely so much on invoking memories of a time gone by and uh there's a great quote from peter bradshaw uh, which uh, doing my research i, I stumbled oh, very across good. Uh, if a movie ever came from the heart it was giuseppe tornatore's nostalgic cinema parody so yeah uh, absolutely i mean it's just i mean it is it's clearly so personal to him as well but it's just there's just so many themes that you can just completely relate to you know like like when you're a kid but also when when you're a teenager and that kind of feeling of dislocation but also the feeling of you know, your first boyfriend or girlfriend, and then... But for me now, the bit that resonates the most, the most is when he's older and he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's going back home and he hasn't been back home in 30 years. I mean, obviously, I go back home much more often than that. Yeah. But whenever I go home to my small wee town, I'm always just a bit, you know, like, oh, my God, everyone's still here, but nothing's changed. But at the same time, everything's changed. Yeah. It's that feeling that I think a lot of people come across in their life, and it's quite a universal feeling, so... It's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful film about emotion, and and for me, that's you 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 can't come out of this film without feeling something. And for me, especially with that, I mean, with with that final sequence as well. I mean, with the kisses. Yeah. um, I mean, it is just like with the music and everything, and it just it's it's Mm -hmm. probably for me, like I said, it's not a perfect film by any means. I mean, there were bits in it that maybe slightly drag and there's the whole like you said the whole thing with Elena is a bit now looking back on it it's not the best but um, that final sequence is perfect like that is genuinely a perfect scene like Mm -hmm. it's the perfect ending to a film Um, so the film might not be perfect but it's got the most perfect ending in cinema that I can think of off the top of my head are you going to get me tearing up yes (laughs) Um, it's fantastic 
so and, and you get the you get the argument from people and you know it, it's legitimate cinema's escapism people like to turn their brain off and not have to worry about their films whereas for me it's exactly the opposite I, oh, I want to yeah, come in and I want to feel something the films that I absolutely loathe and detest are the films that are a waste of time when you go and you sit down and mm -hmm. you sit there and it happens in front of you and you come out of it and you have no thoughts you have no real strong feeling one way or another about mm -hmm. it and mm -hmm. You just feel like you've wasted your time, and this film absolutely makes you feel something. And it, at the very core, I think it always just kind of touches someone deep down for whatever. And the word the, the word of the day is nostalgia. But for yeah. for whatever, whether you're a film lover, whether you you miss your childhood, anything like that, it's definitely it's, it's nostalgia. Touch it. But I also think it's about the perils of nostalgia as well. I mean, especially in a culture that we're in now, where nostalgia is just like basically a part of everyday life you know with the internet and everything it is just bringing everything back you know that they're selling nostalgia to you now you know in the form of like remember star wars remember back to the future remember all these films that you love it's like well yeah of course i remember them but you don't have to keep selling them to you oh my god did you, you know, know that this is the year that they went forward to and back to yeah the future? Well, well exactly right and it's yeah. just like nostalgia we almost don't have the luxury of nostalgia anymore because mm -hmm. it is just sold to us on a daily basis so it's it's almost impossible to be nostalgic about anything anymore because it's not about the past, it's about the present, you know? It's like, oh, I remember Back to the Future, it's like, well, well yeah, it's still part of my life every single day. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think Cinema Paradiso really talks about the perils of nostalgia as well, and it isn't just so much about, you know, oh, isn't it nice to revisit the past? It actually can be quite an upsetting mm. thing, and it isn't about how great is nostalgia, it's more about how you know, it can bring demons to the surface and that kind of thing, but, you know, it's maybe told in a much more kind of nicer way, but it's still, um, you know, there's a lot of regret in his life, yeah. and it's kind of about balancing that regret with the kind of, the comfort of nostalgia as well, um, which is quite a rare thing to, to be able to do well, I think. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, does, it does touch on so many levels, and... It, You've also brought up some really great points I didn't even think about in terms of the historical context and the fact that it's something that you can look back on as kind of a, a kind of guide and, you know, whether it's an embellished look at how people used to go to cinema, but it, it captures a snapshot of Italian life at a really important part of Italy. And I remember going back to um, mm -hmm. She Wore a Yellow Ribbon when we did an episode of that. And again, mm -hmm. the argument was kind of, it's not a perfect film, but it kind of, it's it's one of these kind of forgotten Westerns, which kind of... Not not so much depicts what life was like when, you know, during during the time of the film, but more about what mm -hmm. what films people they were making back in Hollywood. Yeah, but it's, it's like a snapshot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that has a tremendous value as well. So you know, I see no reason to draw this out any longer. I'm happy to welcome uh, Cinema Paradiso yeah. into the Hall of Fame, <laughs> Good. where it will sit uh, alongside the 13 other films that I haven't got written down. So I'm even going to get try. As I mentioned, I left my notebook at home. So alongside Queen Scarcity, Jaws, and The Raid. The Raid, yeah. Oh, there's a bunch of them. That's let's, that's fine. Let's see if we can pick Good it. Company. To, yeah, The Big Lebowski, uh, Princess Mononoke. Uh, yeah, this is why I need to have it written down. I'll do it at the end. Yeah, you know, I'll that's, in. Fine. that's fine. That's so, fine. Yeah, a highly successful uh, outing for you here, Sophie. It's um, good. I'm glad. Delighted. To I'm have sorry, my uh, my film synopsis was so rubbish. But if you don't know what, if you've not seen it, watch it. Or if you've not seen it and want to follow, then just look on Wikipedia and it's all there. I would tell you. I would also say that it's <laughs> it's not like sort of Jaws or Alien, where if you know the plot, there's kind of 
kind of the, the fun's taken out of it. I would say even if you've not seen the film and you've listened to the description and yeah. you've heard us talk about it, I still think you'll get an awful lot of enjoyment out of the film. Oh, yeah, it's not... You can't really be spoiled for it. It's... Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's the experience. It's not about the end the yeah. end point, but... Um, also, it's, you know, it's 30-odd years old or whatever, so if you've not seen it by now, then... Spoilers be damned. Mm-hmm. And uh, as oh, we look. mentioned, if you watch it and feel nothing, then you are dead inside. Then you're pretty much, yeah, a robot. A weird robot. <laughs> well, Sophie, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. No I worries, thank you. eagerly look forward to a future episode where you come on and talk about Aguero, Wrath of God. Aguero, Wrath of God. Aguero, Aguero. Aguero Wrath of God. Wrath of Maradona. Well, that'll Sweet. be a good film as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Yeah, I will do. I look forward to that too. Alright, thanks very much. Cheers. to the Magnifico Cinema Paradiso for earning its spot as the 14th film successfully submitted into the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame. Now that I have my trusty Moleskine notebook in front of me, I can give you the list in full. The Big Lebowski, Princess Mononoke, Theatre of Blood, Fight Club, Kill List, Stand By Me, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Jaws, Koyanaskatsi, Total Recall, Sideways the Raid, Alien, and now, alongside all of those, Giuseppe Tornatore's Cinema Paradiso. Thanks to Sophie for coming on the show and providing a strong case for the film. That's going to do it for this week's proceedings. As always, you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast over at iTunes. Be sure to like the Hi-Hat Film Podcast Facebook page. And you can follow my further adventures in film over on Twitter, at ClancyHiHat. Thanks for listening. I'll leave you with the final words of Edward G. Robertson's Little Caesar. Mother of mercy! This is the end of Rico. We Excuse me, I'm Eric Lynch. Charles Xavier. Go fuck yourself.